One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. So this should be the final episode where we're doing the Q&A on thyroid and Hashimoto's. Uh, let's see what our final questions are. Um, one, I've actually dealt with this before. Why does my endo keep changing my thyroid dosing? Um, I explained in a different question or a different episode how when you have autoimmunity, um, the immune system tends to wax and wane or it can wax and wane. And so during periods of increased immune activity, your TSH can change. Typically, it will drop down which makes doctors think that you're on too many thyroid hormones, and so they reduce your dosage. Then when your immune system calms down again and things go back to somewhat normal, you're on a suboptimal dose, and so your TSH pops up again. And when they run another test, or maybe you go back and say, hey, I'm not feeling as good, then they go, well, your TSH is up. Let's give you more thyroid hormones. So that cycle just tends to repeat itself. And, and I made a comment in the introduction to the whole thyroid section that dosing patterns can be very meaningful. Like when I'm trying to figure out what's going on with a client in an initial consultation that has a thyroid issue, we'll ask them specific questions like, how long was it between the onset of your symptoms when you first got diagnosed and placed on meds? That That is important for me to understand. But also, what is your dosing? Are you on the same dose you were 10 years ago or five years ago too? Or is your dose going up and up and up all the time? Or is it going up and down, up and down, up and down? Each of those different things tells me something slightly different, but tells me that there's probably an underlying autoimmunity that we have to define before we can really start to move forward. There's another question about medications. My MD won't prescribe armor thyroid. What do I do? Um, and the answer is maybe nothing. <laughs> and maybe that's not the answer that people want to hear. But, you know, there's a there's a belief in both conventional and alternative medicine and among naturally minded healthcare consumers that bioidentical hormones are always superior to synthetics just simply because they're not synthetic. And as a clinician and, and certainly as a seminar speaker and a teacher, I have to be careful that I don't propagate bad ideas or false concepts. And so what we teach doctors in the seminars that I've taught over the years is that we have to get our eyes off the medication itself and really not make any judgment that synthetic is bad, bioidentical is always good. And we have to ask the question, well, well, what type of medication is this person sitting in front of me right now? What's best for his or her physiology? Um, because sometimes people just believe they're better, but that's not necessarily true. So let me just kind of um, dial this back a little bit. And you might be interested, um, on my website, There's a, I have a what I call a mini course or actually there's a, a free download on the website, drnosworthy.com. That's drnosworthy.com. And you can just put in your name and uh, it's a thyroid medication quick reference guide. And it comes with um, a PDF and lists all the different thyroid medications that are out there, both synthetic as well as bioidentical. And it breaks them down into whether or not they're synthetic or bioidentical. Is it a T4 only preparation? Does it have T3 only or is it a T3, T4 combination? 
And then I break it down even further and I go into what I call uh, clean formulas versus dirty. And dirty formulas are things that contain immune stimulants, uh, chemicals, or, or dyes, which can promote uh, immune responses. And so if this is a question that you have, like what, what is the right thyroid medication for me? Maybe that's something that you want to go and sign up for and check out. And so what it comes down to is this, is there, there are two core issues. Number one is, are you sensitive to immune stimulants? Like a lot of the synthetic meds that are out there, things like Synthroid, Levothyroxine, et cetera, um, have uh, fillers and dyes that are classified as immune stimulants. Some might have cornstarch, some actually have gluten. Others might have um, acacia, which can be an immune stimulant, uh, what we call a TH1 stimulant, and that could be totally inappropriate for somebody with Hashimoto's. And so to me, a dirty formula is something that has these in it that runs the, the potential, like aside from the fact that it's synthetic and is a T4 only, if it's got something else in it that's going to flare up someone's immune system, I'm probably going to tell them, you need to go back and talk to your doctor. Now, I don't tell, because my scope of practice, I can't tell people to take or not take thyroid medications. I always refer them back to their prescribing doctor. But what I can do is educate them on their body physiology and what might be a better option so that they can go and have an intelligent conversation with whoever it is that's controlling that prescription medication. And so question number one is, do you have sensitivities to some of the dirty fillers and dyes that we typically find in synthetic medications, like the ones that are most commonly prescribed? The other issue really has nothing to do with synthetic versus bioidentical, but it has to do with whether or not somebody needs not just T4 support, but they need T3 as well. So what's the difference between the two? Because we really haven't dealt with a question like that in the stream of conversation that we've had so far. Basically, what comes out of your thyroid gland is predominantly T4. What your cells use after those hormones circulate in your body is active T3. So T4 is biologically inactive, has to be converted to T3 for your cells to be able to interact with and derive some benefit and, and improve function from it. And there are some people whose bodies don't convert T4 into T3 very efficiently. There are some epigenetic factors. There are nutrient deficiencies, things like stress chemistry, inflammation, selenium levels, iron levels, several other things that can actually change how your body converts T4 into T3. So that if you are a stressed, inflamed, and nutritionally uh, depleted person, if you fix those things, you might convert T4 into T3 just fine. And as long as you're not sensitive to the dirty formulas and synthetics, then you can probably actually get away with using something like Synthroid and Levothyroxine and do quite well. But a lot of times, um, along with the, uh, you know, the genes that predispose people to things like Hashimoto's, there are also genes that control the enzymes that do the converting of T4 into T3, most of which happens in the liver. Uh, not to get too technical, but there's a family of enzymes called D-iodinases. There's D1, D2, and D3 that interconvert different forms of thyroid hormones. And so what we have discovered is that some people just genetically are not great converters. And no matter what we do in terms of controlling inflammation or stress chemistry or repleting nutrients or fixing a gut or changing their environmental variables, they never really efficiently and effectively convert T4 into T3. And so they need T3 in their in their meds. Whether they get it from a synthetic or a bioidentical source is a different thing. The problem is 
is that if you look at the history of thyroid medications, um, the pharmaceutical industry has spent an awful lot of money since the late 1940s convincing medical doctors that you can't trust bioidentical hormones, which is exactly what hormones were prior to the, the initial fabrication of Synthroid, the very first synthetic T4 medication, which was commercially available in 1949. And so people who are being prescribed and using things like Armour or Nature Thyroid or WP Thyroid, Westroid Pure, those are the most common bioidentical hormones. Um, all they're doing is using what medical doctors used to use before pharmaceutical companies got involved and said, hey, we can make this and we can make it and spend a lot of money convincing people that you can't trust the other stuff. Well, the reality is this, is that there are some people who will, if they can find a doctor who is open-minded and willing to switch them from synthetic T4 to bioidentical T4, T3 combination, there are some people that will do that and derive fantastic, great benefit from it. Others will switch and have no difference. Others will switch and get worse. And then they don't stabilize until they go back to the synthetic form. And so the reality is it's not about do we believe synthetics are always bad? Do we believe that bioidenticals are always good? And, and we shouldn't buy into that level of thinking. What we should be doing is treating everybody as individuals, biochemical uniqueness, and asking the question, what challenges do you have? Are you sensitive to dyes and fillers? And what is your conversion capacity, which is something that we can test for and monitor over a period of time to see if it starts to improve as we put somebody through functional medicine protocols. All right, let's deal with the last question. And this is kind of a summary thing, actually, because um, the question is, if I have Hashimoto's, what other things am I probably going to struggle with? And I guess there's two ways you can interpret that is what can happen down the road if I don't fix things? Or if someone has Hashimoto's, what other symptoms tend to come with it? Well, we've already talked about the, the complex symptoms of hypothyroidism being fatigue and hair loss and weight gain and sleep issues and depression and all that kind of stuff. Um, the bottom line is this, is that because every system and every cell and inside every tissue in your body requires thyroid hormones to be sufficient for you to have normal and optimal function. When you are truly hypothyroid, you suffer systemically. So in reality, regardless of where your symptoms are manifesting, what we see with hypothyroidism is we see a global decline in energy mechanics and cellular function and efficiency. If you throw on top of that the autoimmune mechanism, and the tendency of systemic inflammation to mess up all systems that we know of and that we can study. And if you throw on top of that, that each individual person will have other unique genetic and epigenetic influences that might say for one person with thyroid, they might also be predisposed to blood sugar problems. Someone else might live a really stressful lifestyle and be predisposed to adrenal issues. Someone else might work in a chemical plant and have an, an inordinate amount of chemical exposures. We can kind of go back to this concept is that there are some general predictable and common things for all people because we're all genetically alike with obviously minor variations. But we all have human DNA. And then there's all the individual stuff that relates to our diet, our lifestyle, and our environmental influences that start to change the story beyond that fundamental level. 
And so what I can do is I can just kind of give you a real quick list of the most common things that people come up, come in with that either are stated on their symptom, like their intake form with their symptoms and their complaints, or things that we tend to find as we go through the exploration process. Because somebody may not be prioritizing, you know, let's say their gut symptoms. Maybe they've lived with a gut problem long enough that they don't think it's a problem. They just think it's normal that I don't go to the bathroom every seven or days or whatever. Or maybe it's normal to go to the bathroom five times a day and have loose stools all the time. We have this amazing capacity to redefine normal and to allow um, symptoms and states of dysfunction into our lives as a welcome friend because it's just been that way for a long time and we don't know how to change them. Nevertheless, the list I'm going to go through right now is not complete because there's so much variability, but I'm just going to hit the high points. You know, number one, probably the biggest thing uh, is a, a wide spectrum of gut complaints. And that can range from more complex scenarios like leaky gut or intestinal permeability to relatively more simple things like a lack of stomach acid or poor gallbladder function or, uh, you know, maybe irritable bowel, IBS or SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. In fact, those, those things there, like some degree of leaky gut, maldigestion and IBS or SIBO, that's a very common clinical problem that we have to fix not only because is it a problem in and of itself, but because all of those things can feed back into the autoimmunity, making the whole autoimmune thyroid problem worse. But because the thyroid is integral to how the gut functions, we end up with a vicious cycle where the bad thyroid and the bad gut feed upon each other. And you have to go in and, and be very intentional and very specific in how you try to break that cycle and separate them so that they can function better and function more normally. So gut problems are very, very common. Uh, also very common to see things like high cholesterol. There's, of course, different reasons for that. But uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the LDL receptors in the liver that recognize high cholesterol and then grab onto your LDL, your quote unquote bad cholesterol to get rid of it, um, they don't work when you're hypothyroid. And so it's very common to see high total cholesterol, high LDL cholesterol as a reflection of the hypothyroid state. And as thyroid hormones come up and as the autoimmunity uh, comes under control, we can see cholesterol levels start to normalize without you know, taking things like statin drugs or even using natural statins that are from the herbal community. Then there's a lot of brain-based stuff. Um, simple things like brain fog, focus and memory issues, uh, classic depression. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, somewhere along the way, about neuroinflammation slowing down the conduction speed of your brain. So it's just harder to think and harder to remember, harder to focus. Uh, anxiety states, very common. Um, disequilibrium, so a sense of either true vertigo where you're spinning or just kind of feeling lightheaded or spacey or off balance. And, and some people go like, you know, I never used to be clumsy, but I'm bumping into things or I'm dropping things from my hand when, when I really shouldn't be. That's also very common as well. Part of that is because the brain, all neurons in the brain require thyroid hormones for optimal function. Um, but we, we do know from studies on neurodegeneration that states of neurodegeneration I should say, rates of neurodegeneration increase over time when you're hypothyroid compared to when you're not. So there's this intimate relationship between brain function and thyroid, particularly of the autoimmune variety. And then we see other common things like blood sugar issues, low blood sugar, high blood sugar, states of adrenal dysfunction, 
various forms of anemias. Um, and because the enzymes in the liver, they're involved in the detoxification process, their full functionality is based on thyroid hormone exposure. Pretty much anyone with a thyroid issue is going to be a poor detoxifier. And that's going to be a scale and it's going to be a spectrum. But the reality is, is we, all, we live in a world there where exposure to things like mercury and heavy metals or environmental chemicals, even mold toxins, particularly those that are found in our food supply, these things are inescapable facts of life. And so is it common for us to do a detox with patients who have Hashimoto's? Yeah, but we don't do it first thing because sometimes it's the wrong thing to do first. And there are other considers, considerations to um, to put into play here. And, and let me just kind of leave you with this and, and with this note, then we'll end this section on the Q&A and we'll move on to some other topics, is that when we're dealing with the world of autoimmunity, there tend to be three things that come together when someone has an autoimmunity. autoimmunity. Number one is the autoimmunity itself. The second thing is a lack of tolerance to your diet. So food sensitive, food, food sensitivity, food allergy. And then the third thing is chemical sensitivity. And, and that relationship is so distinct and so predictable that if someone comes to me already having been diagnosed with, with Hashimoto's, one of my main questions is, well, what foods are you reacting to and are you reacting to your environment? When somebody begins to react to their environment, not only is it a, a, an issue of toxicity from a quantity standpoint, how much of this stuff do you have in your body and is it causing problems? Because we know chemicals and heavy metals drive inflammation, but also impair things like thyroid and, and estrogen type systems. We also know that you can actually create autoimmune sorry, autoimmune, well, I guess autoimmune is the right word, but you can create immune reactions against heavy metals and chemicals that come into your body that actually latch onto your own tissues so that when you have, say, a metal like mercury or a chemical like bisphenol A, it can come in and if you can't clear it out efficiently because your detox system is not working, it will latch onto your own human protein. Your immune system will, will make an antibody to the complex like this, but the antibody is actually to the human portion. So we can detox or chelate or get rid of the chemical or the autoimmunity. And what we're left with is an antibody to our own tissue, which means not handling our environmental exposures well can actually trigger autoimmune diseases. Now that's a mouthful and you know somewhere along the way, we'll break that down into uh, bite-sized steps. But I hope you've enjoyed this Q&A section on Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Again, thanks for watching The Inflammation Nation. Thank you so much for listening to The Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.